Hi everyone and welcome back. Uh, we are in the last week of our Spiritual Warfare Discipleship Module. Thanks for the feedback I've gotten from many of you. Glad that this has been helpful. And again, remember, if it has been helpful, please like the content, share it with someone else. Uh, we do our best to try to provide uh, good information for you and want as many people as possible to benefit from it. Just to review, we've been looking at spiritual warfare as something that is much more common and sinister than we often expect. Remember how we said that the devil's lies play into our disordered sinful desires, which are then accepted in a broken and sinful world. Recall also how we said that spiritual warfare often takes place not in a battlefield where there are clear lines between who's on what side uh, and you know where the battle is taking place, but spiritual warfare often takes place in a battle space where there aren't clearly defined lines and it can be hard to know who is on what side. The devil is an expert in psyops, psychological operations, spinning lies, half-truths, and coming in from behind, not where you would expect him. Well, with that in mind, in this last week, we're going to look at some common errors regarding spiritual warfare. And in these first two videos, we're going to look at the mistake of thinking of spiritual warfare as a conventional conflict. It's the error of thinking that the lines of conflict in this world map cleanly on top of the lines of the spiritual conflict. So if we think of the conflict in Ukraine right now, from a earthly perspective uh, and even a just perspective, it seems clear that Ukraine has been unjustly invaded and the Russians, or at least Putin and his army, is culpable for it. It's a fairly conventional conflict. Ukraine good, Russia bad. And you can look at maps. Perhaps you've seen the satellite imagery and other things that show the movement and position of Russian troops and where Ukraine is holding them off and even gaining some ground. But, and here's the key thing, it would be a mistake to lay a spiritual overlay on top of that conflict and say that every day that Ukraine pushes back the Russian invaders, it's a, also a spiritual victory. It would be a mistake to think that if Kiev falls to Russia, it is somehow a spiritual loss for God's kingdom. It's very possible that a defeat for Russia would bring bad consequences for Christ's church, perhaps most in particular, the Russian Christians. It's also possible that a victory for Russia could perhaps bring some good spiritual consequences for Christ's church. What we need to be careful of is seeing any sort of one-to-one correlation between earthly good means spiritual good, or the opposite, earthly bad means spiritually bad. Most likely, whatever happens in this conflict will bring a mixed good bag of good and bad things for the church. And the danger for Christians is that we get too wrapped up in that conventional fight that we are missing the spiritual effects that this conflict is having on us and Christians around the globe. Now, we'll pick up on this idea later on in the video, but I want to first establish a few principles to help guide us. So let's look at the spiritual battle lines. The first thing that I want you to understand is that the spiritual battle lines, if we map the spiritual conflict, it is not drawn along the same lines of any earthly conflict. First, consider the first parts or the last parts of Ephesians 2. Paul is talking about this ongoing conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles, and it threatens to divide the church. 
There's a mistake going on here of taking these earthly lines as ethnic division and importing it into some sort of spiritual division. The, the early church is looking at things along conventional lines, and Paul shows them they need to look at things differently. So starting in verse 14, he says, For Christ is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we have access to the Father by one spirit. God has gifted us diversity, ethnic diversity, gender, male and female, the diversity of gifts. But Satan, as that spin master, takes those differences and sinfully twists them to become points of conflict between us, where we want to think that one race or one gender is superior to the other. And we are susceptible to these lies of Satan because we are sinful ourselves and we have disordered desires. We want to think highly of ourselves, And so then those desires gain acceptance in a sinful world where we see whole societies and cultures based upon lies of some of these things that make us diverse, make us superior to one another. So our sinful nature will always skew towards drawing spiritual lines along any earthly lines, whether it's ethnicity or nationality or gender, and we need to be on guard to fight against that, that the church operates on, in a different sphere. We must have eyes and ears attuned to detect those lies of Satan that are trying to get us to think along the lines of earthly conflict and import those into the church. This was a great threat to the early church, and it would be foolish to not think it's also a threat to our church in this day. And what does Paul remind people of in the book of Ephesians? That Christ has created a new humanity, a new ethic, ethnic in Jesus Christ, and that creates a bond stronger than any other tie. So very practically, that means you have more in common with a Russian Christian living in St. Petersburg right now than you do with your neighbor who lives down the street who flies the American flag on all the same days you do. Now, the second thing I want you to see is that because the earth, the spiritual fight takes place on a different plane than the earthly conflicts, we can't get seduced into using conventional weapons to win the spiritual war. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then Paul goes on to list the weapons, the armor of God, which we looked at last week. And these are not conventional weapons. Paul doesn't list guns, but truth. He doesn't equip us with body armor, but righteousness. He doesn't provide missiles for the fight, but God's word. 
And one of the mistakes we make is when Christians get seduced into trying to win the spiritual conflict with weapons of conventional conflict. And it seems to me that more often than not, when we try to win the spiritual fight with conventional weapons, it will ultimately lead to spiritual defeat. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that pe- keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Notice how many of the themes we've looked at in this series are echoed in this passage. Paul is focused on defeating the lies that come from the devil. He's focused on a war waged, not as humans wage war, but waged with the word of God. And this means we must be on guard to not get seduced into using human weapons to win spiritual fights. It's a surefire way to lose, even if you think you've won. And when I talk about waging war as humans do, I'm not just talking about conventional fighting, like saying creating a Christian army to conquer unbelieving nations for Christ, but I mean also relying on things like politics and laws to win spiritual fights. The late Presbyterian pastor, uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was the pastor of the famous 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, was once asked on his radio show, what would it look like, pastor, if Satan were to take over Philadelphia? And his answer was surprising. He said, all the bars would be closed, pornography banished, and pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am, and all the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ is not preached. It's a stark image of what looks like a perfect society, and yet it's a perfect society built not on Christ, but on something else. And it's a good reminder that we cannot legislate ourselves to true biblical righteousness. It means we cannot sufficiently fill the Supreme Court to make American or to make America a Christian nation. Uh, we cannot get rid of all of our politicians and elect new ones with conservative values or even more biblical values and expect this nation to turn to God. For what it's worth, as Barnhouse reminds us, all of those things could come true and it could still be a major victory for Satan. Satan's kingdom would have come. Why? Because Christ is not the center of it all. Don't you see how crafty Satan is here? He's a master strategist. He's playing chess while we're playing checkers, and he could so easily deceive Christians who are so wrapped up in political victories or victories on the Supreme Court that they forget Christ, who is the foundation of it all, and even though we are on a more steady moral foundation, Satan, in the end, wins. And this is not to say those things are not good. We should seek reform. We should seek politicians whose policies line up with biblical commands and principles. That is a good thing, and in general, it will be good for our nation the more that happens. But we cannot be deceived into thinking that is a spiritual victory. It's not enough. 
It's unable to bring spiritual change. Only the Spirit can change our hearts. And that requires the weapons that God has given us in this spiritual fight, the weapons of his word and righteousness and truth. That's a good place to stop here. And in part two of this next lesson, we're going to look at how then do we map out the spiritual battle space.